Hi, welcome to the City View Phoenix podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to City View. My name is Jeremiah, and usually uh, this is just me. I make mistakes. I mess up. I'm far from perfect. I'll never try to claim to be perfect, and um, that's, just, that's just who it is. And we are in the middle of this series titled No Ordinary Love, and we're looking at the book of Mark. And I don't know about you, but love, it's not always easy. Sometimes loving people and loving God can be one of the hardest, most difficult, trying things we could ever do. But for God, love is everything to him. It's who he is. It's why he does what he does. It's what drives him. It's it's what keeps him. It's it's what kept Jesus focused on what he was going to do, dying on the cross. To God, love is him. God is love. God is love. It says in 1 John 4, verse 16, we have come to know this. We have come to know and to believe that love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In Psalm 136, this psalm, I don't know if you've ever read it. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to read it. But over 20 times it says, and and it says that God's loving kindness is everlasting. God is love. And I know some of us, maybe we struggle with that. Some of us, maybe we doubt that. Some of us, maybe we don't believe that. But I'm gonna, here to tell you that by the end of service, you will realize, and I hope you will come to know, and maybe for some of us we'll be reminded or we'll be, being, be encouraged that God is love. Here's something I want each of us to know. The more we trust God, the more his love is revealed. The more we trust God, the more his love is revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that you are a great God who loves us, who cares for us, who has a plan for us, who desires to do great and mighty things. And Jesus, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, for those of us who are struggling, for those of us who are questioning, for those of us who already right now we're going, I don't know, God, if you really do love me. I I get that you love, but God, I feel like your love is conditional. I feel like your love is broken. Or Lord, maybe we feel like we can't love again. Maybe we don't know if we can be loved because we're not lovable. Lord, no matter where we're at, no matter what's going on, no matter what questions and wandering our minds are doing, Jesus, I ask that you'd meet us here that you meet your people at churches all over the valley, Lord, whether they're at Calvary Community, maybe they're at uh, um, Dream City, Lord, maybe they're at uh, New City, Hope City, Desert City, even here at City View. Lord, we've got a lot of city churches. God, I ask that you would just meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, so nice to have you. My name is Jeremiah. I'm the lead pastor here at City View, and I... I just have this sense that God has something special for each and every one of you today. I, I have this sense. There's something, there, there, there are moments and there are times when, 
you can just sense like Jared and I were standing next to each other and I go, man, something feels different today. Like, like there's this, this presence of the Holy Spirit in, in this room. There's this, this moment. Some of you are like, I don't feel it. And I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not saying you're broken because you're not. Maybe I, I'm just super sensitive and I'm an emotional guy, which is true. Um, I don't know. But all I know is I, I have this sense that God has something for you. And behind this curtain is something very special. It says in Mark, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Verse 33, Jesus is, in this passage, we, we're, we're seeing this time where Jesus and his disciples have been working a long time. They've been doing a lot of things, and Jesus had just told his men, these 12 guys who are tired, who are hungry, who haven't had any time to rest, he said, guys, let's get away and let's rest. Let's go away to a secluded place and let's just rest for a minute because we're all tired. So they jump into a boat, getting ready to go to the other side of the sea to rest. And then it says in verse 33, it says the people, this group, this crowd of people who knew about Jesus, they knew who Jesus was, the people, saw them, meaning the disciples and Jesus. I don't know if Jesus had some boat that was like, Jesus flag or I don't know I don't, I don't really know why how they knew it was his boat I don't know if it was a faster boat if his boat like really didn't like sink in the water if it was like floating on the water like there's Jesus boat it never goes in the water just sort of goes on top and it's like a fast boat I don't we, I don't know how they defined it was Jesus's boat but they knew it was him it says the people saw them and many recognized them and they ran together on foot from the city from all the cities and got there ahead of them so, so if you can picture Jesus and his disciples, he just told them, hey, we're going to go home and rest. Like, I don't know how many of you, your, your Sunday, Sunday afternoon nap, how many of you look forward to that? Like, you're going to go home and you're going to crash. You're going to take like that hour, two hour. Me, if it goes any longer than like 15 minutes, I wake up grouchy. But you're going to go home and you look forward to that Sunday afternoon crash. Imagine if somebody said, hey, you get to nap. We're going to rest. But then you have a party at your house. And you walk in and there's 50 people in your house. You're like, I live in an apartment. Same thing, 50 people doesn't change whether you have a big house or a small house, 50 people. That's what happens to the disciples. So this crowd of people, you gotta understand, this is a crowd, this is, when we come to the end of the story in Mark, we learn that there's over 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and children. You're looking at a crowd of like 10,000 people that meet the disciples in Jesus as soon as they get off the boat. They were just promised rest and food. And if you get in, in the way of a man's rest and food, watch out. If you get in the way of anybody's rest and food, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It's like, watch out, right? Ladies, you get hangry too. I've seen my wife when she's hungry and the kids are bothering her and she's like, get out of my way. I need my coffee and I need my food. I need that. I need my shake that she drinks. And like you get in her way and she, you just don't want to do that. So the disciples, that's the, so you, you, guys can all, you guys can all enter into this situation, right? We all have been there where you get to work and there's a crowd. Your classroom. There's people standing at the door waiting to get into whatever store you're opening. It's, I don't know. You get it. There's people waiting in line for their appointments. You get it. You're like, I hate you. I just wanted five minutes. 
So that's where we're at. It says in verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowd and yelled at them to leave. No. It says when Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowd and he felt compassion. He felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This crowd would have stressed me out. If I was one of the disciples, I would have been not happy. I would have been like, uh, Jesus, you, I haven't eaten all day. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm tired. I've been helping you all day, and these people, are, they're needy, Jesus. And Jesus, I'm hungry. And you're looking at these people like you like them, and I'm looking at them like they're an inconvenience. Can, can you picture this? Because that's the disciples. They're inconvenienced by people. Jesus felt compassion. Somehow when Jesus sees a crowd, he sees each and every person as if they were alone. He sees each and every person as if it was just them. He doesn't just see a crowd. He sees people. He sees hearts. He sees people that are broken. There's four things that I see here in this, in this passage. I see first that Jesus sees you just like he saw them. It says, and he sees them. He saw the large crowd. Jesus saw the crowd and, and something in that, something in him was, was just controlled by this love for them. You see, the eyes of Jesus saw more than a mass group of people. They, he saw the spiritual condition of them. Sheep without a shepherd. Straying, they're helpless. They're, they're bound to perish. They, they have, they, this fate was hopeless. And when Mark speaks of Jesus seeing the people as one, without, as one, as one as a group of people without a shepherd, Mark and the other gospels that speak of this, is, he's actually referring back to the Old Testament. There's a guy named Moses who lived in the Old Testament. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie uh, Prince of Egypt. You guys see that movie? It's like a musical, cartoon, Disney thing. They, it's all about Jesus, and, or it's about Moses, about this guy named Moses. If you haven't seen it, it's good. So there's this guy named Moses, and he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. And as Moses was coming to the end of his life, getting ready to die, he looks at the million-plus people, and he says to God, he says, who will go out in Numbers chapter 27, verses 17 and 18. He says, who will go out and come in before them? And who will lead them out and bring them in? So the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And God says in this moment, he says, the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is, is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Not only was God answering Moses' prayer then, but you see, God saw the bigger picture of people without a shepherd, of people without somebody leading, of people without somebody caring, because a shepherd wasn't just somebody who led people. A shepherd was somebody who protected, who provided, who, who helped his sheep know where they're going, why they're going, and what's happening. You see, that was the shepherd. 
That's what Moses did. And Moses looks at the people of Israel going, God, who's going to lead them? And so when it says here in Mark, it says, and Jesus saw them, he felt compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is coming as an answer of Moses' prayer that they would have a shepherd again too. Jesus' name in Hebrew actually means Joshua. And so when when God tells Moses, I'm going to answer that prayer, but I'm going to answer it for future so that all people might have a shepherd. So first we see that Jesus saw them. He saw the crowd. He sees you. You may feel like he doesn't notice you. You may feel like he hasn't seen you. God sees you. And the second thing I see is that God feels for you. He feels for you. It says that, and he saw them, and they were sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion for them. That word compassion, there, there, there are a handful of emotions that we see about Jesus. And compassion is one of the ones that's spoken of the most when it comes to the emotions Jesus felt. It's mentioned over nine times in the Gospels. The compassion, the love, the care of Jesus. This word compassion isn't just pity. But it is seeing a situation, it is seeing a person, and it's knowing you have the solution to solve their problem. That's what compassion means. And so this says that Jesus, I I see that Jesus, he feels for them. He feels for you. Jesus saw that they were people without a shepherd. He felt their hearts being lost. He felt their wounding. He He feels their pain. He feels their loss. He feels their wanting. He feels for them. And he feels for you. I know that there are some of us in here today where maybe we struggle with that. Maybe, maybe we've been hurt by church, we've been hurt by God, or, or maybe in our family they have, and so we've been just raised in a home where we don't know, God, what is this? Can I trust you? Maybe we're joining, you're joining online and, and you're watching going, I don't know if I believe all this. I, I like church, it makes me feel good, but, but actually believing that, that God that he sees me and that he feels for me? Does God really know what I'm going through? Does God understand the hurt and the pain of all that is going on in my life? Does God get that? I've been there. I've been in those moments where I've wondered, God, do you care? I remember as a third grader, when my parents got divorced, I remember wondering, God, do you care? I was third grade, I don't know how old you are, third grade, eight, nine years old. Holds my son. I have a third grader. He's eight. (laughs) I've only had one cup of coffee this morning. My second cup is sitting on my bathroom counter. I know it's sad. But I remember as as a little eight-year-old, just wondering, God, are you there? I want you guys to watch a story about somebody who's just proof. It's their story about how God is there for them. Let's watch. I never thought I would be a 30-year-old single mom. My name is Jasmine, and I have two amazing kids, Cody, who is nine, and Peyton, that's eight. Um, And I am a single mom, and my husband left about two years ago. 
I got married at 19 years old. And four months into our marriage, I found out I was pregnant with Cody. And we were very excited. A year later, I found out I was pregnant with Peyton. With her, I had some complications with my delivery. And I ended up having to have an emergency C-section that then caused a lot of health problems for me. A year after Peyton was born, I got diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. And through the course of about six years, I had nine abdominal surgeries. So I went into remission and I was doing pretty well health-wise for about a year and a half. And then I went to the doctor for a routine checkup and I got the news that I was definitely no longer in remission and it was really bad. And so my doctor wanted to start me on chemo injections right away. When I found out I was no longer in remission, um, I was devastated. Um, it took everything out of me and then I started the medicine that completely drained my body and it made me weak and shaky and um, pale and eventually I even lost my hair and my eyebrows and everything that made me feel like a girl. I just, I just felt like I was stripped from everything. I remember feeling frustrated with God, but I knew I had the support of my husband at the time and so I felt like I could get through it. So in the midst of me going through these horrible shots and feeling so weak and vulnerable, I found out that my husband was having an affair, a long-term affair. And it broke me. I already felt weak and vulnerable and like I wasn't enough. But then to hear that your husband didn't think you were enough too was really hard. Um, but I was raised and I believed that when you got married, that it was for better or worse. I wanted to fight for my marriage, but I was in shock because I never, ever expected my husband to do anything like this. He then came to me and let me know that he was gone. He had his foot out the door. He didn't want to work on our marriage. He wanted freedom and to do whatever he wanted. And that was definitely the hardest time in my life because not only did I not have my health or my strength or anything about me, but then I didn't have a partner in life. And I was there to raise two kids that are looking to me for strength when I felt my weakest. I had moments where I felt like there was no way I could possibly <laughs> take care of these kids by myself or um, do anything. I just had to completely surrender to God. And I had a night where I was reading this book from Max Licato that it just spoke to me and it was telling me that God is here through all these trials and He's going to carry you through. And they use the illustration that when the storms of life come at you, you're going to either drown or you're going to have your feet firmly planted. And I was definitely drowning. I did not have my feet firmly planted. I knew that I was relying on a person for my strength more than I was relying on God for my strength. And so in that, I knew I had to completely surrender to God and get my feeding back where I needed to be. 
So every day I would just pray for strength. And it was just, hey, help me, Lord, get out of bed and get my kids ready for school so that I could at least get them there. And Lord, when they get home from school, help me to be able to get us till bedtime and feed them and do just the daily things that I had to do now all by myself, but felt so weak. So all day I had praise music all the time. My kids and I, that's all we listened to is praise music. And we did devotions together every morning before we'd even get out of bed because most of the nights they would just all come in bed with me and we'd just wake up and just start with the word. And I had a complete transformation for myself because I was getting my footing firmly in the Lord and not relying on a person, but on God. If I didn't fully surrender to God, my life would have been a wreck, a mess. I don't know that I would have wanted to keep going or if I would be the kind of mom I am today for my kids. And I don't know that I would be able to be an example to them that when life is hard, you turn to God and you don't give up. Instead, I probably would have given up. So it has been a couple years now since I became a single mom and my husband left. And even though the trials never let up, I'm still dealing with medical stuff and I'm still raising two kids on my own and I still struggle with feeling enough in so many ways. God is so faithful in showing me that He is here to carry me through every step of the way. And He has brought so many amazing people into my life to encourage me and build me up. I never thought I'd make it through the worst time in my life. But the only reason I did is because I completely surrendered to God and He carried me through it. I know that there's many of us that we sit and think, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can trust God. Do you really care? Do you really love? And I can tell you there's story after story after story. That's one person's story that we captured. Of somebody who's gone through some of the worst times, and you can still talk to her. She goes here. She's one of our main coordinators. She helped with our, our, our student ministry here at City View. She is just an amazing godly woman who won't let the world keep her down, but she keeps going. Because the more you trust God, the more his love is revealed. You see, and that's how it works. The more we trust him, the more his love is revealed. But the problem with many of us is we don't want to trust God with everything. You see, so you have this crowd, they're there, the disciples are there, and the, Jesus, he sees the crowd, he sees that they're hungry, and we come now to Mark chapter 6, verse 35, and it says, when it was already quite late, remember, we earlier on in the book of Mark, we learned the disciples had been out all day serving, they're hungry, they need something to eat, there's this need, it's now it's dinner time, now it's quite late, and his disciples came to him and they said, this place is desolate. Jesus, we're in the middle of the desert. There's no fast food. There's no Chick-fil-A. It's Sunday. You know, it's closed on Sunday. If you didn't know, Kanye told us that. Um, and so there's, the, there's a serious issue. They're in the middle of nowhere. And he says, they say, Jesus, we're in a desolate place and it's already quite late. There's no food. They said, Jesus, you know, here's, here's the solution. Send them away. Send them away that they might go find food for themselves. And Jesus turns to them. 
verse 37, and he says, you give them something to eat. He says, you do something about it. And they turn to Jesus, and many commentators, people who read this, who understand languages way better than I do, they, the disciples respond, they said, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on a bread, on bread and give them something to eat? I, I picture a teenage child when you ask them to mop, take out the trash, and they give you that response of, uh, are you serious? And that you want them to vacuum. You're like, I vacuumed last week. Or you ask them to go pick up the dog poop, and they're like, I did that three days ago. And you know that response that you get when you ask somebody to do something, and they give you that snarky response back. You know that. Maybe it's somebody at work, hey, can you help me real quick? And they give you that response. That's the, pe- that's the disciples' response. Shall we go and spend 100 denarii to give them enough bread just that they might have a bite, Jesus? Is that enough? Is that what you want? So they give Jesus this attitude. I don't know if you can imagine giving Jesus an attitude. I I mean, I do all the time in my life sometimes. I'm like, Jesus, really right now? You're going to do this in my life? I can picture it. They must have been really comfortable with Jesus. Now in John's gospel, or here, let's continue in Mark, and I'll tell you what John's gospel says. So Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. So while they went to go look, we find out in John's gospel that Andrew finds this little boy who has five loaves of bread and two fish. He finds a third grader. He's got a lunch. Now it's not, I used to always think it was like this huge old lunch. It's it's like small pieces of bread and like some sardines. So it's small fish. It's not not like this kid's got, like this massive kid that's got this, you know, 30 count chicken nugget and all that. So they go and they find this, and that's what when it says, and then they found out that they had five loaves of bread and two fish. Now they didn't, didn't just, they borrowed it from a kid, or they brought the kid before Jesus. It says, and he commanded them, he said, hey, have the crowd sit down on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took five loaves and two fish, and looking up into heaven, he, he blessed the food and broke it, the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples and set them before them, and he divided up the two fish. The third thing I see about Jesus' love is Jesus sees your need. He not only sees you, he not only feels for you, but he sees your need. He knows your need. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what's going on. He he knows the details of your life. He knows that. And he also knows your needs and your wants. And he understands what you need now and what you don't need now. He understands the things that you think you need that you don't really need. I think it was a Garth Brooks song that he said, I thank God for unanswered prayers. That's truth. That's facts. That there are things in life that we may think we need and we don't, and God sees you. He feels for you, and he sees your need. The hardest part is, can we trust him? You see, in that story that Jasmine shared, as she shared her life story, and it's still going, the reason why she can keep going is she trusts God. Because the more we trust God, the more 
his love is revealed. But you see, for some of us, we trust God just, just enough. Just enough. Just to get through one day. So not only did God see them, not only does he feel for them, not only does he know their need, but it says in verses 42 through 44, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. When you process that, satisfied, what satisfies Julia is not going to satisfy me. Julia is satisfied by like one of those cheese roll-ups at Taco Bell. That's good. What satisfies me is three tacos and a bean burrito. Two very different satisfactions. Some of you identify, you're like, man, cheese roll, that's good, that'll satisfy me. Others of you, like my son's like, dad, I want the quesadilla, I want four tacos, and I want those nacho fries. So in that crowd, you had Julia satisfied, and you had Jeremiah eating my share of fish sandwiches. It says, and they picked up the 12 full baskets of broken fish pieces and all the fish, and there were 5,000 people who ate. So not only does God see you, not only does he feel for you, not only does he see your need, but Jesus' love has no limit. Has no limit has no limit. But here's the thing. To see this happen, Jesus didn't have the bread and fish. He wanted to use somebody. He wanted to use his disciples, and he had a plan to use this kid. But the problem was each person in this story had to trust Jesus. They had to trust him a little bit with their life. They had to trust him with what they had. This little boy could have come up to Jesus and said, hey, I have five loaves of bread, two fish. Let me pass it out. He could have kept it in his own hands. And that's what so many of us are doing with our life. We're saying, Jesus, I need your help, but I want to keep this in my hands. Jesus, I need financial help, but I want to keep this in my hands. Jesus, I need marital help, but I want to keep this in my hands. Jesus, I need parenting help, but I want you to make it work in my hands. Jesus, I want a new job, but I want you to make it work work like this in my hands. So, so many of us, we're not trusting, but the reality is the more we trust God, the more his love is revealed. Honey, can you help me? Thanks. We sent over here. Thanks. Just hold it. I'm not ready yet. You're going to stand there and look pretty for a little bit. This is my wife. If you didn't know, you're like, who's he talking to? You see the little boy had to take his stuff. Say, all right, I trust you. I trust you with what I have. I, I trust that I, I see you moving. I, I see that you, you see the problem. You see the situation. I trust you. So that little boy placed his five loaves of bread and two fish in the hands of the only one who can actually make it matter. You see, in our life, if we're trying to hold on to everything we have and make Jesus make our life work, if we're trying to make our relationship work and it's not meant to be, meaning we're in sin, 
we're trying to make a, a, our, our parenting work, but we're not parenting our kids in the way of pointing them to Jesus. We're like, but make this work, yet you're letting them watch and do things they shouldn't be doing. Why are my kids so disobedient? Why are they this? Are you home for them? Jesus, make this work in my life. Make this work. But I want to keep it in my hands, Jesus. You see, the more we trust him, actually, we hold on to that side. Thank you. The more his love is revealed. But we have to trust. Now, his love, it's always there. But for many of us, it just hasn't been revealed because we're not trusting. You get it? This sign was always behind me. God's love is always there, but for so many of us, we're not trusting him. We're not relying on him. I don't know if you heard Jasmine, the word she used was surrender. I had to surrender my, my marriage that was falling apart. I had to surrender parenting. I had to surrender my own. I am not enough. I, she had to surrender that. That means it's the same word as trust. She had to trust. But what I'm hearing in her story, what I've heard in knowing her story, is the more she trusts, the more God's love is revealed, and it comes more and more and more to the front, then that's all you see in is his love. But it starts with a little bit of trust. A little bit of, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to trust you in this right now. We all have to come to that point, that place. Worthy, we can hold everything into our own hands and say, God, make this work. Or we can say, God, I trust you. I'm going to be honest, it's not easy. It's difficult. You're going to doubt. You're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. There's going to be times we're going to take it back. And then his love is going to start getting covered up. And you're like, God, do you love me? He's like, my love hasn't changed. It's still there. God is love. It's who he is. He can't stop loving you. He can't. It, 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 it would go against everything about who he is. It would go against him. Honey, thank you very much. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you just need to be encouraged that God loves you. Maybe for you, love has been covered up and, and you're only at the EV. And God says, if you trust me, we can uncover more of my love. You could experience more of my love. Some of us, we've been living this, I don't even know, the past year, couple years, this past year and a half has been crazy. Maybe we're, we're stuck in this like 
constant circle of wondering and fear and questioning and not liking people and all these things. And what happens is we're stopping trusting in God. And when we don't trust God and when we don't experience His love, we can't love others. So when we don't feel like we're being loved by Him, it's really hard for us to love anybody around us. But the more you experience His love and the more His love is revealed to you, the more you can love each other. Because the only thing that's ever going to change this world is when we learn to love like God. So I don't know if for you this morning, your struggle is, does God really love me? Yes, He does. He cares about you. He's got a plan for you. He sees you. He feels for you. He knows your needs. And His love has no end. No end because there's no limit to a love who's willing to allow his son to die on a cross so that your sins, your burden, your guilt, your shame might be taken away and cast as far as the east is from the west because God is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being a God of love. God, I thank you that you care, that you're there, that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, I ask that today, if we have been holding on to our own life, thinking we'll figure it out without you, Lord, may we place our trust in you today. So I have a couple groups of people I want to talk to. First, I want to talk to those who have never put their faith in Jesus. And today's that day to say, I trust you. For you. And if that's you, I see you pray with me right now. Here's what I'm going to have you pray. I'm going to guide you through some words so that you might say, God, I trust you. That's really all you need to say is, God, I believe in you. I believe that your son died on a cross for me. Jesus, I ask that you forgive me. That's what I'm going to walk you through. So if that's you, I should pray with me right now. You can pray quietly. You can pray out loud. You can stand up and cheer and shout whatever you're comfortable just pray dear God I'm sorry please forgive me thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for me God I believe you I believe in you God I trust you but God it's not easy so help me in that. In Jesus' name.
maybe there's some of you in here this morning where you've got things in your hands that you need to say, Jesus, I trust you. And like that little boy trusted his small lunch in the hands of somebody who could turn it into a feast, you need to take whatever you're holding on to, trust it in the only hands that can make it work. So if that's you, just say, God, I trust you. Did you decide to follow Jesus while listening to this podcast today? We want to celebrate with you and help you with your next steps. Click the link in the podcast description to get connected with a pastor and your next step. If you want to learn more about what's going on at City View, download our City View app through the App Store or the Google Play Store. You can find everything from special events, outreach opportunities, and additional resources all in one centralized location. Links are in the description below. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our website at cityviewphx.com or download the CityU app on the App Store.